Well, today we are speaking about joy and service and how appropriate to talk about this on Father's Day. And I remember when Lindsay, our firstborn, was born and just, you know, overwhelmed with joy, the excitement of being a new father. Uh, We've had some babies born recently in the church. I think of TJ and Kim recently had little Maya, um, Rutan's not too long ago. How long ago has it been now? How many months? Two months? So I remember being overwhelmed with joy. But if I'm honest, there was another overwhelming feeling of just absolute and complete desperation, maybe would be a good way of saying it. What in the world am I going to do with this? How am I supposed to do this? I had to care for this child, teach her, comfort her, direct her, and I was excited to do those things, but felt very much lost. I mean, let's be honest, at that time, and and still today, I was trying to figure those things out for myself. How was I going to lead a child? But there was also a joy. There was a joy in knowing that child and the other three that would come was a gift from the Lord. And on this Father's Day, we celebrate the gift of being a father, but also the gift of our fathers. And you know, when God gives you a gift, along with that gift is a call to service, a call to be faithful. Fathers, when your child is born, that's a call from the Lord to be faithful to him, to serve him in this new capacity of fatherhood. And when God is the one who calls us to serve, then God is also the one who equips us for that service. And there is a great joy and comfort to be found in that. And so today we're looking at joy in service. Is there a link between joy and serving the Lord? So if you have a Bible, open up to Psalm 100. We're going to spend the majority of our time in this psalm and a little bit of time uh, later on in another passage as well. Let me read this for us. It's, it's just five verses. Okay, good. I'm reading out of the NIV. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And that first slide there in verse two, uh, you don't have verse numbers up there, but it says, this is the NIV, it says, worship the Lord with gladness. Anybody have the ESV? It's a little bit different. What does it say? Serve. Serve. Now, this actually happens several times in Scripture, where if you compare two different translations, you will sometimes see the word worship, and other times see the word serve. And even sometimes you'll see a footnote in those translations that it could be either or of those words. So it is right and proper to read this, serve the Lord with gladness. Worship the Lord with gladness. And we're going to talk a little bit more in a bit about the link between worship and service. But what I want to look at is the link between service and joy. We're going to look at how faith-filled joy fuels service. I felt a little bit like Dr. Seuss when I was writing that. Faith-filled joy, there it is. Faith-filled joy fuels service. 
Psalm 100 verse 1 starts out, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Shout for joy. This sets the stage for the rest of the song. That's what the Psalms are. They're, they're a song that would be used in worship or, or declared in worship. Shout for joy. And the word there for shout for joy is like a battle cry. You could imagine before the battle, the commander of, of an army or, or the infantry gives a rousing speech, right? And he says, let's go, and the whole crowd just shouts. You can think of any big battle movie you've ever seen, and you see that, just this shout that goes up. Why? Because they anticipate the win. They anticipate the victory. They're in this together, and they're going to go. It could equally be applied after the battle. The commander, after the battle, says, victory! And the shout goes up from the troops. That's what it's talking about. That's the kind of shout for joy. This momentous victory. And the object of the shout here is important. Shout for joy to the Lord. You see the focus there? To the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord. The joy has a focus directed at the Lord. Why? Well, who brings the victory in the battle? When God promises his people and they go into battle in the Old Testament, who did they know every single time? They didn't look at themselves and say, we're so amazing. Because let's face it, in the Old Testament, Israelites, not all that amazing in battle. The Lord would bring the victory. Psalm 20, verses 7 through 9 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. And I love that because some trusting in chariots or in horses, those were like, you know, it sounds weird to say, but they were the modern technological advances of the day. This was the army going, ha ha, we've got the best of the best. And scripture says, okay, some humans trust in those things. They trust in human things that humans can do, things that they can manage, things that they can build up, things that they have control over. But God tells the Israelites not you. You are to trust in the name of the Lord, your God. And this psalm is a response to that. He, therefore, is the one that gives us the victory. So this is why it's right to begin, as we look at service, with shouting for joy to the Lord. Because any outcome of our service must come from him and not from us. Otherwise, it's just us trying to do the best that we can and our best is never good enough. The psalm ends in the same place. Psalm 100 verse 5, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is, as we've talked throughout this whole series, what is the foundation of our joy? And we said it has to be something outside of our circumstance. Imagine going back and telling yourself six months ago, the world's going to shut down. People everywhere are going to have to sit six feet apart, 12 feet apart, and wear masks all the time. You'd laugh. That's crazy. You know what you're going to do. You're going to get up in the morning. You're going to go to work. You're going to spend time with your family. You're going to go here and do this and there and do that. You've got it all figured out. And then, boom, something happens that none of us had control over. And if our joy was found in each one of those things, if it was rooted just in the circumstances of our lives, what happens when our lives shut down? Our joy shuts down too. So our joy must be rooted in something beyond. That's why we've called this series Joy in Christ. Christ's love and Christ's faithfulness never changes, never wavers. 
And God's faithfulness, as this psalm says, is unchanging. It is an unshakable foundation for joy. So that's where Psalm 100 begins, and it's also where Psalm 100 ends. Joy based on absolute trust in God. So now let's look at how it links in with service. How does joy and faith and service, how do these things relate? Now, it is true that serving the Lord can lead to joy. I can look back over my life in ministry, and I'm sure many of you as well can think of times you stepped out in faith for the Lord and you served, and it led to incredible joy. You saw somebody's life being changed by Jesus Christ. You saw somebody being comforted. You saw the way you were able to help somebody, and you have joy because of that. I would guess if if you've ever stepped out in service to the Lord, you can also think of times it didn't necessarily lead to joy. Maybe it actually led to things being harder. Maybe it led to disappointment or frustration. But if the joy and the faith are what come after service, then we may always be disappointed. But what if we look at it the other way and the way this psalm is talking about it, that it is not joy that comes from service, but service that comes from joy. Service that motivates or fuels joy. So, do you want to serve the Lord? Is that important to you? And I hope the answer is yes. Then there's a really cool thing in this psalm that says, start by focusing on who you are in Jesus Christ and your joy in Him, and let that overflow in service. Too often we talk about serving the Lord like this guilt trip. You're not doing enough. You've got to do more. That's not service that comes from joy. That's service that comes from guilt. And that's never going to last. So let's focus on who God is and what he's done for us. And that's where this psalm goes. It looks at joy-filled service that involves knowing and doing. This psalm is broken down into two main parts, and there's a repetition that happens with each of it. If you look at verse 2, it talks about something we should do. Worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Verse 3 says something we should know. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4 goes back to something we should do. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And then verse 5 returns to things we should know. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generation. Hey, it stayed in sync. That's awesome. All right. So you see this pattern of knowing and doing back and forth, back and forth. And if we go back to verse 2, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. And here again, we need to dig into why is it that translators struggle or have to choose between worship and service. And I think a big part of this is not to do with the Hebrew words, not to do with the Jewish concept, but with our modern understanding of these words. We have very narrow definitions of these words. Let me ask you two questions. I think this will get to the heart of it. If I told you, yesterday I spent time worshiping the Lord. Yesterday I spent time worshiping the Lord. What are some things you might think that I did yesterday? Pray, 
read my Bible. I think I heard singing. Yeah, for me, I play guitar sometimes. I like to pick up my guitar and play music or, or just write music kind of as an act of worship. But you, you would most likely, or maybe I went to a worship gathering of some sort. But it's kind of a me and God worship. It's most often quiet, introspective, sort of a passive thing. Okay, now let me ask you this. If I told you I spent yesterday serving the Lord, what would you think I did yesterday? What was that? Doing something. Mr. Specific over there. Okay. Yeah, doing something, right? I mean, even in that mindset, worship is different than doing something. So if I'm serving the Lord, I'm maybe I'm serving at a soup kitchen or I'm doing some counseling or, you know, for me, preparing for a sermon. But I'm, I'm doing something. That's a pretty good definition. I like that. But do you see the rub there? One is kind of me passively just focusing on my relationship with God, maybe spending time in prayer or singing. The other is doing something. The Hebrew mindset, and, and frankly, not just the Hebrew mindset in the Old Testament, but all of Scripture had no such separation. There was no concept of a difference between worship and service. Worship was always an active involvement in glorifying God through actions, not just sitting and serving. In fact, they didn't really have much of a concept of a worship service. You came to the tabernacle to do something. You came to the temple to do something. You brought an offering. You came to offer that. So worship and serving throughout Scripture are the exact same thing. You serve by worshiping and you worship by serving. They are all mixed together. Now, this is why the translators struggle with this. Because in our modern mindset, we've separated these two things. And you see this throughout Scripture. We're going to see it again in another powerful place, which is Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where the same thing happens, and the translators have to choose worship or service. But joy in service comes from understanding the link of these two things, that service and worship go together. This is why Psalm 100, verse 2 says, Worship or serve the Lord with gladness. It's not saying that the service that you do will be wonderful and joyous, that it might be pleasant to you. It might be, but it might not be as well. What it's saying is that verse 1, shout for joy to the Lord. When your joy is in the Lord, and we might call that worship, it should overflow in activity in our life of service. Joy fuels service. So we see there's a link in our worship and service between knowing who God is, knowing what he's done for us, there's our joy in the Lord, and then our doing things, serving him. Let's look at the things we are to do. At the end of verse 2, our worship or service that comes from and is fueled by our, our gladness or our joy in the Lord, it leads to an action. Come before him with joyful songs. This would be in the temple or the tabernacle. They would gather together. That's what it means by come before him. This is where God chose to put his, his glory among his people to dwell among them. And they would gather for specific reasons, specific times to come into the temple or later or tabernacle or later the temple for these services of worship. But they were times of bringing a sacrifice. 
It was a time to come and deal with sin in their own lives. It was a time to come and admit and acknowledge that God was holy and that they were not. And it was a time to maintain that relationship between them and God. And throughout the tabernacle and the temple, the very effort of walking into the structure was an educational experience. There was a separation around the structure from the rest of the people, showing they were separated from God. You'd walk into the courtyard and there's a giant altar where the sacrifices had to be put. Constant reminder, sin had a price and they had to be made right with God. There was the very holy presence of God inside the structure and the people weren't allowed to go in there, only the priests. And in the Holy of Holies, only once a year, constant reminder, God loves us and is with us, but he is holy and we are not. And God had to provide a way to deal with that. So we need to know some things about our relationship with God. We can't just get all excited and just do a bunch of stuff for the Lord and say, oh, I'm serving him. No, he is God and we are not. We need to take our cues from him. So let's look a few at a few of these cues in this passage. If we'll go to the end first, verse 5. There we go. Verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. See, that's something we need to know. We don't serve the Lord so that he can work. We serve the Lord because he's already at work, because he's already faithful. And then if we jump back to verse three, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We must know that there is a God. There's only one God. And we're not him. We are not Lord of the universe. We are not Lord of our own lives. We need to know that God has made us, that we belong to him, that he has a purpose for us. We are his. We are his people. And it says we are the sheep of his pasture. And this is beautiful imagery of the Lord shepherding, leading, guiding, caring for his people. All of our service for the Lord is based on these things that we know. Our shepherd is with us. He is guiding us, caring for us as we go out and serve him. And the whole psalm here, interestingly enough, is about coming to worship or serve God in the temple or the tabernacle. Now think for a second. The author here is saying we are the sheep. We are the Lord's sheep. Would there be sheep? coming into the temple or tabernacle? There would be. Why? Sacrifice. It wasn't exactly a good thing to come as a sheep into the temple or the tabernacle. It meant that your life was forfeit. Now for them, as people coming, something died in their place. The animal took their place. And died for them. But the reference is still clear. It was their death. It was their price that needed to be paid. God allowed the animal to stand in the place of the person. There's an interesting link between our worship and our service. And this link with coming to God and him providing a means or a way of us being saved. And this got me thinking, is there anywhere else in Scripture we see this? Coming to the Lord, 
him providing for us being saved. And I thought about there is another place, and I mentioned it earlier. There is another place where Scripture talks about a a true act of worship or service, depending on which translation you have. And it's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bible open, flip forward to the New Testament. And I wonder when the Apostle Paul wrote this passage, if he was thinking about Psalm 100, because the parallels are quite striking. Let me read Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Or again, some translations say spiritual service or reasonable service. You see the translators rustling with this idea to help us to understand it. But again, Paul's idea is the same. It is worship and it is service. Yes, don't separate the two. And again, we see something we are to know. He says, in view of God's mercy. Where in the book of Romans does Paul talk about the mercy of the Lord? That's what the first 11 chapters are all about. He writes for 11 chapters, look at what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. In fact, we can go to the very beginning and kind of look at Paul's thesis statement in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He sets up chapters 1 through 11 by saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So what has God done for us? Well, he saved us through his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, offering his perfect life in our place. That's what we need to know. That's where we need to start. Too many people want to jump over that and say, I'm going to serve the Lord. Do you understand that Jesus died for you? Yeah, that's great. I'm going to serve the Lord. No, no. Go back. Go back to the cross. Because if our service doesn't start with how he first served us, we're going to go off in the wrong direction. We need to know who we are in Jesus Christ. The salvation given to us through the cross and the resurrection. The righteousness that is not based on our service and what we can do or what we can earn for the the Lord, but a righteousness that is already ours in Jesus Christ and we get to live it out in service. It's a completely different way of looking at the Christian life. So what are we to do? Paul said in chapter 12, verse 1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is the heart of service. Joyfully knowing who you are in Jesus Christ and offering your life in meaningful service to him. And Paul goes on in chapter 12, verse 2, to talk about how this changes us. It must change us. It will change us. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see that idea of transforming? We can't just take our human ideas 
our human reasoning, our human strategies, put them on the gospel and say, I'm just going to do what makes sense to me and think that the Lord will be glorified by it. Paul says, no, turn that on its head. Be changed by Jesus Christ. Let him change the way you think and the way you act. Our normal ways of thinking and acting will lead to selfish service, self-glorifying service, self-fulfilling service, self-dependent service. Paul says, if we live a life of meaningful service, worshipful service to God, we must be changed. We will be changed down to the very concepts that we consider normal and natural. All of this will be transformed. What does this change? Well, it changes how we think about what's normal, what's right, and it's the gospel that does the changing. In view of God's mercy, somebody's Bible's reading to us. <laughs> it's okay. So here is our true service to know and trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then to live every day, every moment as a response to that gospel. That's what service is. This is what Jesus has done for me. This is how I'm going to live it out right now. And along with that, being willing to being constantly changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you might notice, as we talk about joy and service, I haven't really talked about serving in the church. I haven't talked about signing up for nursery service, teaching in a Sunday school class, serving on the praise team. I haven't spoke, spoken about going into ministry or professional ministry or becoming a missionary. And those things all have their place. But they're all just certain offshoots of what it means to serve the Lord. And we need to get a much broader view of what it means to serve the Lord than just signing up on a roster for Sunday mornings or for some midweek thing, or even giving your life to go overseas in missions work, which is wonderful and powerful. But it's too easy, I think, for the rest of people that aren't doing that to say, well, they're serving the Lord, and I give some money so they can do that. And then I get to go on about my day. I think if we understand this link between worship and service, it will really help. You know, in... in Worship service planning, we talk about a call to worship. Coming into worship together and focusing our mind on who Jesus Christ is. Serving is an act of worship. And every opportunity to serve becomes an opportunity to worship. And those have a call to worship too. Could you imagine if we looked at our lives this way? Imagine when your eyes open in the morning in bed. And you think, that's my call to worship right there. You go to get out of bed and your feet hit the floor. There's a call to worship. You go in, you brush your teeth. It's a call to worship. You show up at work, and whatever you're facing that day, it's a call to worship. You're with your family, helping your kids with their homework or changing a diaper call to worship. Fathers, when you become a father, it's a call to worship. 
And every moment with that child from that point on is an act of worshipful service. When we understand that worship is service and service is worship, then every situation of our lives becomes an opportunity for worshipful service to the Lord. Living this way must come from our joy in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it becomes an obligation, a drudgery, a chore. But if we know who we are in Christ and the joy that is ours because of that, we long to share that with other people. And then every interaction, every moment becomes an opportunity to either demonstrate or proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's service. And you can do that in church, in Sunday school, or in the nursery, or on a praise team, but you can also do it at work, and at home, and out on the streets, and online, and social interactions. All of it is an act of service to the Lord. You know, one of my favorite pictures of service in Scripture is found in John chapter 6. and You don't have to turn there, I'll just sum it up for us. Jesus is there with his disciples, and a large crowd is gathered. And Jesus basically tells his disciples, you need to feed these people. And they're going, what? There's no way. We can't possibly do this. One of the disciples, Andrew, brings a boy with five small loaves of bread and two small fish. And I love how John uses the word small twice, just in case you missed it. This is probably a poor boy's small lunch. A small boy's small lunch. And there's a crowd of a couple thousand there. And, and it's amazing. I see faith in Andrew going, well, don't know what to do, but this is what we got. And he brings it to Jesus. But he also says, how far will this go among so many? The task seems impossible. Their resources and their abilities are way too small. But they bring it to Jesus. And Jesus gives thanks for the food and he has the disciples start handing it out to the crowd and every single person eats their fill and 12 basketfuls of bread are collected afterward. That's worshipful service. You look at a situation in your life and you say, I can't do that. But I can shout for joy to my Lord who can and who loves me and is shepherding me through this then I can just step out in faith and see where he leads. I don't have to have it all figured out. I just need to follow my shepherd. For me, this is a source of great joy in serving God. And I think about times in my ministry that I can look back and say, I don't know what to do. I didn't know how to fix something. I didn't know how to solve something. But you just keep focusing on Jesus Christ. And there are times that he does things that are so amazing. I can think of times in youth ministry, youth that were just changed, relationships among youth that were healed, and, and things came back together, and I just thought, we just showed up and see, to see what God would do. That's joy in service. Because at the end of it, you don't look at yourself and say, man, I did a really good job. You look at the Lord and say, He is amazing. And I'm going to shout for joy in Him and keep on serving Him. Heavenly Father, God, we all too often take our eyes off of you and put them on ourselves. And we try to figure out what we can do and how we can do it and what makes sense to us. And then our service for you comes out of that. And then it's just 
our service fueled by our own abilities. And God, I pray that we would have a joy-fueled service. We would live our lives each and every day as an act of worshipful service to you. Change our attitudes towards things that we face in our day-to-day lives. That we could look at them not as something that distracts us or detracts us from your presence or your relationship, but we would rather look at it as an opportunity to bring glory to you even in the most difficult and dark of situations. But Father, I do pray that it would start with us knowing our joy in Jesus Christ. Father, that we would allow that to overflow from the depths of who we are, knowing we did not save ourselves. We are saved through your Son, Jesus. Made right with you through your Son, Jesus. Have a new life in you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And may the freedom we find in that and the joy we find in that fuel our service and our worship each and every day. That you may be glorified and other people then could raise a shout for joy to you. In your name we pray. Amen.